Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Do you ever sit at work and daydream about epic trips you'll take once you retire? Well, today we're going to talk with somebody who did just that, making a career out of adventure and travel after retiring from a career as a management consultant. Here on the podcast is John Hayes, who will talk to us about the transition to Traveler, as well as the famous E4 walking trail that goes across Europe from the coast of Spain to Budapest. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. The very first question is, how does somebody go from being a management consultant to walking across Europe and then eventually becoming a, a guidebook writer? I don't know. With hindsight, I sometimes wonder how I ever, I ever became a management consultant. But uh, <laughs> I've had such a great time since I finished. Um, but uh, I'm, I, I'm, I was always an outdoors person, although being a management consultant is really a sort of an urban activity. I, I come from a rural background. I'm a farmer's son. And uh, I was very com- comfortable in the countryside. And um, I always w- worked uh, as, as a means to enjoy myself doing other things. So as I got into my 50s and uh, sort of my family responsibilities started to drain away, uh, I started to think about uh, retirement. And I really started to want to, didn't want to just drift into retirement. I wanted to do... Uh, the big bang thing and burn up my past uh, career, burn some bridges and start on something completely different, which is why I decided to do um, this big, big walk across Europe. And and so as you were, you know, getting ready to retire, had you picked out the E4? Did you know this was the walk you're going to do or did it just hit you all at once? Well, to be honest, it was, um, I'd seen it um, when I was walking in Crete I'd seen some signs from the U4, and so I started to get a curiosity. Um, and as, as, as my sort of, I had a target date as to when I wanted to finish work. And as that target date started to get closer, I started to take the research more seriously. And um, it was a drunken Sunday afternoon, actually. It was really wet. We couldn't get out, couldn't do anything. And we just started exploring things, my, my wife and I, on the on, the, on, on various websites, um, and there's a terrible website called um, with a map on it from the European Ramblers Association. Not an organisation many people have heard of, heard of, but it's responsible for a network of twelve long distance walks across Europe. And uh, the, the map, if you're a romantic uh, person, the map is is very seductive. I mean, it's, it's got routes going from all angles of Europe, um, right across Europe, and you're instantly sucked in. And that's what happened with me on the E4. So I started to tell people I was going to do it because part of the strategy was to tell as many people as possible I was going to do it, make it impossible for me to sort of back out and, and, and hide. I, I wanted to do a, a public demonstration that I was, uh, I was leaving one life behind and starting another. And that's just what I did. I, I started writing about it, talking about it. I raised some money for sponsorship and did all sorts of things, which for all the people who thought I'd go in after two weeks made it impossible for me to do that. 
And so what did people people say when you said you're going to walk across Europe and, and go on this you know famous E4 trail? Did they think you're mad or did they think, oh, of course, this is the natural progression? Uh, no, they thought I was, I was mad. I mean, the thing I, I, I saw around me which inspired me to, to want to do it, particularly the thing about being something like a management consultant, it's quite easy to sort of half retire because you can always find something to do and and, you know, get on, uh, get those jobs here and there and do temporary work. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to sort of reinvent myself. So um, people knew I was interested in walking. Um, I'd done uh, long, long distance trips before. I'd um, done various trips in the Alps in particular. And so I knew that this was a passion of mine, um, but I didn't know I wanted to... Uh, uh, if you like, get rid of all the collateral I'd created in my career and just ditch it all and, and do something completely different. But that's what I decided to do. I mean, it's an interesting thing how your job becomes part of your identity. And I wanted to just wanted to change my identity, both with myself, with my family and, and, and all of my peers. And, and that's exactly what I, I decided to do. And that's what I did. Uh, John, this is so interesting because I was in consulting before this. And uh, kind of stumbled into travel and it was literally, I kept, you know, I did a kind of hobby website and that took off and I'd go to conferences and I, everyone I met, I said, oh, this is my tribe. Like these people are so, everyone I met is so great and they just want to help people and they have the same kind of values and passions and interests that I have. And that's what made it really easy for me to kind of just kind of move from consulting into this. But you were proactive. It sounds like you kind of just knew, said, okay, I want to move from the consulting realm and just be around outdoors people and travelers and people that get excited by by those two things. Is, is, am, am I hearing that correctly? Uh, yes. Uh, I have to say at the outset um, that one of the things I missed in my sort of uh, background, I never learned how to to seriously uh, camp, you know, a back, a back tack and all that sort of stuff. So my trip um, wasn't hardcore. It was... Um, was walking and staying in it was always staying in places i always as i said i always slept well unless things went badly wrong and they did once or twice i always slept in a bed at night so it wasn't really it wasn't like walking the appalachian trail or the crestway pacific crestway or something like that it was a much easier european style of walking and um so i, I don't want to big it up too much but um it, it worked for me and uh it's something i've been doing for for my annual holiday for some time with my wife, who's very lucky. She liked the same sort of activity as I did. It's very helpful. And I had a number of friends who liked it as well. So it was, it, it was, it wasn't quite such a dramatic transition. The big thing was that I was, if you like, burning my collateral, you know, all the, all the experience I'd, I'd gathered as a management consultant. I was saying, well, I don't need to use that anymore. Although there were some things I used. And, for some reason, I ended up as a sort of a bit of a map expert, as a management as a management consultant, and being a, a digital map expert was quite a useful attribute of uh, planning my trip across Europe. Oh wow, excellent! And and you didn't say you didn't want to big up your uh, your your trip, but uh, it's it's a massive journey. How far was the distance from Tarifa in Spain to Budapest? I measured everything in kilometers because you actually made more progress in kilometers and miles <laughs> and a bit, a bit shorter. So it was it was five thousand kilometers, and it took 
Uh, just under six months, calendar months. I started um, um, in March and I finished um, first week in, in September. Um, so it was um, the actual East Wall route, by the way, um, it continues. It, at the time I did it, it, it stopped really, effectively stopped on the borders with, uh, with Hungary. But now it goes all the way through Romania, Bulgaria, all the way down to Greece. Um, and the, the, the bit in Romania was missing when I did it. It's, it's now been completed. And so if you're mad enough, you can, you can go even further. But uh, I think six months was, uh, to be honest, I was desperate to get home at, at the end of six months. And so six months was just long enough for me. And so what was an average day on or an average week on the E4 free? You mentioned you were staying in hotels. So you obviously weren't carrying a massive pack and you probably didn't have to carry a bunch of food and cooking stuff either. But, you know, what what would a regular day look like? One of the things I discovered was if you started early, you could, <laughs> you could get further. So uh, I, I got better and better at starting really early. So typically I'd start walking to about seven o'clock in the morning and that's uh, great time to walk early in the morning and then I'd carry on um, depending on the destination the whole thing was determined by having to uh, stop somewhere um, I'd, I'd carry on walking until 6 o'clock in the evening so very, it was a really weird thing that uh, you had this sort of dip in the middle of every single day you sort of start to run out of energy at about 12.30 uh, I'd stop for a sandwich or something I'd carry a sandwich but then by three o'clock in the afternoon, you're often going again. You could be tracking on that sort of, I guess the temperature dropped a bit or you started to use a different sort of your body or something like that happened. But, um, you know, by the time I got to sort of 6, 6.30, I, 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 was, I was usually there in terms of where I wanted to be. But frankly, I could have kept going often, even longer. Earlier. So you had this sort of physical cycle going on with you every day, which is really nice, actually. It's one of the great discoveries of, is really how far, how far you can walk, how far, you, how far the human body is designed. What it's designed for is just a long distance walks. You know, it's a, it's, and you, you you work this out when you're walking across Spain. You know, it's basically you're walking on old footpaths, old mule tracks, uh, and everything you see in the countryside is is, is a track of some description, where everything was carried on people's backs. And so you're walking, you're walking, doing the same sort of thing, but people have been doing it for years and years and years. And you could see it all, how they, it was, the tracks were too narrow for anything but people. But you're always walking on a, on a track. And it's just, you know, reason. It's funny you mentioned we're, you know, evolved and designed to do these long walks. Often here in Canada, they'll show, you know, they, they tag a lot of the wild animals in the parks and they show the distances they go and, you know, wolves can go thousands of kilometers in a winter. And I always wonder, I'm like, I wonder if as humans, you know, if you go back far enough when we were still nomadic, if we were doing these, you know, massive journeys and uh, I suspect we were, cause I have the same feeling when you start going on a long walk, eventually your body just settles down to it. It almost craves that, you know, just being outside the fresh air, that kind of that pace and, uh, what always surprises people who don't do this is it's like a drug. It just feels good, though. You know, you suddenly get aches and pains, but most days you just feel incredible. No, I was really lucky. I I had um, uh, I think they're called shin splints when I first started. Um, I did obviously uh, 
I knew the sort of distance I could do, but I'd never done it day after day after day. And when I'd been walking for about uh, six or seven days, one of my legs started to hurt really badly at the front. And then after a couple of days, it went off. And then the other one started to hurt. And, um, and I guess it was my body just getting used to it. But when I finished the walk, um, I got to Budapest. It was a very strange time coming home, you know, re-acclimatizing re and being back in, uh, back in Brighton and everything like that. But my legs started to hurt again. Really painful. I thought, oh, God, I've damaged something badly here. But, you know, it all wore off. My whole body changed shape. Uh, I lost uh, a lot of weight. Uh, I got down to the size I hadn't been down to since I was a teenager, which was quite nice. Put mostly back on again since, but um, you know it was it was great to get super fit and um, and discover what you can do. It was, it was great. I I, I I really enjoyed the physical side of it, to be honest. You mentioned early that uh, the the trail was mostly on footpaths, but I know a lot of people when. When they go to Europe, there's also a lot of road walking as well, which kind of turns people off. On the E4, was there very much road walking or was it truly, you know, on these ancient footpaths with kind of, you know, s separated from, you know, all the traffic? Well, uh, the way it works, to be honest, is um, there isn't, uh, you, you do see signposts occasionally which say the E4, but um, European Rambler Association is basically a federation of all the national bodies. And the national bodies all have national trails. And the E4 basically stitches together all of these national trails. And I would say, um, I would say there was some road walking, uh, inevitably, and some walking which wasn't as good, good as the best. Um, that's what happens when you walk long distances. So, you, you know, you have to take the rough and smooth. But I would say 95% of it was uh, off-road, if you like. So very little, very little actual hard road walking. Obviously, you walk when you finish the walk, you walk into a town. Um, occasionally, a bit which needs to get stitched together. But they, by and large, it was old trails, you know, really, some of them very old. Um, and in terms of walking history, uh, some of them, um, you know, hiking history, some of them were the earliest hiking routes in Europe. You know, the, there's a route which goes to the north of uh, Lake Geneva, which I, um, I followed. I follows a, uh, called the Crestway, follows a ridge and it goes from, essentially goes from Geneva to Zurich. And they claim it's the oldest um, leisure hiking route in the world. But also the, the Hungarians claim that the Blue Route, which I also went on from the borders of Hungary to Budapest, they claim that's the oldest hiking route in the world. So you and these are proper, and not um, it's not uh, hardcore hiking in the sense of something like um, like the Appalachian Trail. You're not you you you, you come across towns and villages. It's Europe, um, um, but um, it's it is it's not it's not road walking. I think some of the Caminos, by the way, have more road walking on them. Um, the trails, uh, you know, the topping what we call it in Europe they're called uh, typically they're called GR routes, Grand Randonne, and they're typically um, all off road. Very little road walking. Uh, you know, you're talking about maps earlier. Now you mentioned Grand Randonnes. I used to have a map that showed all the GR trails in France and it was like, I just love looking at it. And 
you know, my mind would wander away and somehow in all my moves, I've lost it. And I've actually gone on eBay and gone on uh, Amazon and I can't find it. When I was in Paris last, I tried, tried to find the IGN store. They used to have one by uh, Pompidou Center. It's gone. And, you know, it's one of those things. If you like maps, if it just kind of opens up to your mind, that is one thing that uh, I hope at some point to find that again. I, I have the, One of the most exciting days I had was when I saw a man with a paint pot doing the uh, oh wow the white and red stripes and i took loads of pictures of it you know <laughs> so somebody's out there maintaining them it's incredible um but the, the bad thing about the the, the, the gr routes is sometimes i have an old route and uh so you can be happily following just the, the, the white and red markers but paint doesn't disappear overnight so if they change the route and they do change the route sometime and sometimes on the continent they're not legal rights of way like they are in, in the UK. They're, uh, they're what they call permissive. So sometimes they're no longer permitted and they change the route. So you can be disappearing following these way marks and uh, find yourself way off the track if you don't bother looking at, uh, at your phone or your whatever you're using to navigate. So, yeah, it's, I got to know all of this stuff. You know, I got to know all the ins and outs of way marking and... Uh, uh, the Swiss way marking is just unbelievable. If you get lost in Switzerland, you just head to a train station, and all the all the way marks focus in on the train station, you know, so you can then find your way out from the train station. It's just so, so clever, so integrated. You talk a little bit about some of the trails, you know, you went on through the countries, and you know, having not, you know, I look at the E4, I just see these incredible, you know, you cross Spain and then you go across France and then Germany, then bits of, uh, or then Switzerland, Germany and Austria. Is that the way you think of it? Or are there smaller trails within each country that, oh, you're doing a little bit of this trail in Spain and you move on to a bit of a different trail? Yeah. Yeah. Think of it. I think of it in the, in the, in that way, actually. So, um, in Spain, um, you walked on a, a GR called the GR7, which goes from Toulouse all the way up to the uh, Pyrenees. Um, and then in in France, it's a bit more mixed up, but it's a number of GRs south of the Massif Central. And so you're thinking of the mountain ranges, really. Um, in, in in Spain, it's the Sierra Nevadas, and then you're into the mountains. Shrem Paolo was a coast along from Valencia. And then over the Pyrenees, and then you have a massive central, you're going round the massive central, uh, crossing the, the Loire into the Vercors, into the Jura, and then into the, um, the sort of hill. You tend to the first part of it in Switzerland, you, you're to the north of the hardcore Alps. You've got the, the view of, uh, of uh, Lake Geneva and Mont Blanc in the background, just amazing. And, um, and then you're into, uh, in, into the Austrian Alps. So you tend to think of it in countries and in terms of mountain ranges. Um, uh, and, and all of the, um, we, I went back and did quite a few of the best bits again. Their course is just amazing in France, so interesting. Um, bits of Valencia, beautiful stretches of walking. And the Sierra Nevadas, from, from a, a UK perspective, you go to the south of the Sierra Nevadas, you can walk about all year round, uh, which is great. If, you know, the moment when the days are short and the blowing outside it's very wet here at the moment you can go to southern spain and walk it um very early in the season and do uh, i imagine some people do this in stages you know not everyone can commit to to six months is there certain you know you, you mentioned little 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 areas along the way but is that enough for someone if they just want to go for a couple of weeks is there enough there that 
you know, those areas are worth a two-week trip on their own? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would, I think only um, it's a very select group of people who would want to do the whole thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> definitely the case. So, but um, finding out about it um, and it's, it's a good way of introducing yourself to, to walking in Europe. Um, uh, it's, it's, I, it's so much fabulous walking in Europe. And, and, um, and one of the things that one of the great things I learned was, um, how much, you know, just introducing me to some of the other sort of slightly less fashionable walking areas, which probably I wouldn't have thought of because I'd traditionally gone to the Alps every summer, but walking in Spain is something I, I, I now do all the time and cycling in Spain because it's, it was just such a, an interesting way of getting to know it and, and you know, discovering, uh, discovering what's there. So this, I wouldn't necessarily, I would always recommend bits of it and to sort of, and look at the mountain ranges, look at the time of the year, uh, think what works well, uh, uh, in early year, in, in spring and in autumn, and, you know, uh, uh, the, the great constraint of walking in Europe is is, is is the weather. You know, you can only walk in the Alps probably ten weeks of the year. Um, and I would say, why would you walk anywhere else in uh, if you in in Europe for those ten weeks? Because in the Alps is just fabulous. But you can't walk in the Alps in the winter. So, but then you go and walk in Spain. You go and walk in. Uh, you go and walk in uh, the, the Massif Central much earlier than you can walk in uh, in the Alps. So. It's, it's finding the bits which work um, the best time of the year. And the E4 was a good introduction to that. And, um, and I've been exploiting that experience for the last 10 years or so. So for people that are thinking of doing, you know, one of these long walks, is there a budget that, you know, they can kind of have that, you know, it'll be a bit more in some place than a bit less, but you know, what's kind of a daily budget for these types of walks? Depend the key question is how are you going to do it? Uh, if you're going to carry a, a backpack, um, I know there's a very famous um, German walker who I was in touch with. I'm always in touch with her, but she, she, she's, she's now incredibly famous. She's, she retired when she was about 35 and has done everything and she's still walking. Um, uh, and, and she actually does her walks on about 12 euros a day. But she carries everything on her back. She camps, you know, she... She gets accommodation once every two or three weeks to get a proper clean down, but that's her approach. I'm, I, one of the, I didn't need to do that as a consequence of my career consultancy. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I tend to, um, and one thing, if, if I want my wife to come with me, she, she's, she's quite clear that she doesn't want to do that sort of walking. So we, we tend to, um, like to have an, uh, a nice place to stay at night if you can find a nice place. I mean, the thing is, when you're doing long distance walks, you can't always find a nice place to stay at night. And when you're walking through the Alps, the great joy of walking through the Alps is to have this amazing uh, mountain hut system uh, where you stay. But um, so I was, I, when I was doing my walk, I guess I was doing sort of like 60, 70 euros a day. That was um, um, 10 years ago. Europe is great value for money compared to the UK, I, I always think. Uh, you get food um, is cheaper, accommodation is cheaper, particularly in Spain, and, um, and so it's um, for some reason accommodation is very expensive in the UK. Yeah, I know it's it's so unfortunate. I used to live in the UK, and you know I'd want to go explore, and you know to go to Cornwall, you're paying kind of 
two or three times the price to go and to kind of anywhere on the, you know, French or Spanish Atlantic or even in the Mediterranean. And it makes it really difficult to explore, explore the UK. Yeah, I think it's a price of property. So it's slated in the UK and uh, so anybody who wants to have a hotel or a bed and breakfast or anything like that, um, it's just more expensive here. And well, there's a price of property in, 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 uh, in France and, um, and Spain in particular, just much lower. And they have some of the essential things, you know, you need as a, when you're walking food is food is cheap, uh, you good bakers, you can, alcohol is, you know, if you want to have a glass of wine at night, it's cheap, it's cheap. all the essentials are, are there. And it's, um, and particularly in the Alps, it's just such an amazing walking culture. It's just, um, so interesting. It goes back a long time. It is so well resourced, uh, so well, the, the routes are so easy to, to follow and, um, it's, it's a wonderful place to spend the summer. You mentioned you did this walk with your wife and, you know, it, it's, it sounds like this is the longest walk you'd done together. Did it change, you know, your relationship? Did it change the two of you? Cause I know when I, my wife and I, our first big walk, it, it changed us. <laughs> now I need to qualify that a bit. Uh, she came out uh, three times. Um, uh, she came out twice in Spain and then she came out when we're uh, when I was in uh, in in, in Austria, she came out four times actually. She came up in in France, in Austria, and twice in Spain. So uh, I guess she was there for about a month of the six months. I had other people come out and join me as well, cut uh, various cousins and walking buddies and stuff like that. But now my wife, uh, uh, I plan to retire, and I. I, I said, she, I assume that she retired as well, but she she didn't have my plans at all. So she she just uh, sort of nodded her head at me, but took no notice. Essentially, she's carried on working. She's um, she's still working now, um, which which is fine. And that she and um, but no, she she she's a very strong walker, but um, I don't think she'd want to do six months walking with me. I think would would change our relationship. As, so, so doing this, you know, this giant E4 walk, what surprised you most about the trip? Um, the big, the big, big thing, uh, and it's something I actually, um, learned to, um, exploit, but learned to invite is just how kind people are. And, uh, a man in, the in, um, what, what was then my mid fifties walking alone most of the time, um, Bit of a strange sight entering a small village or something like that. Not, 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 not obviously. Uh, in, I think in the UK people might be a little bit suspicious, but once that, once you um, you got used to smiling at people, and when something went wrong, being helpless. <laughs> uh, you know, by the time I got hungry, I was getting really good at, at being helpless, and people was just love to help you, and uh, I had some really fabulous sort of micro adventures where I don't know, uh, I'd arrived at a place where there's supposed to be accommodation and there wasn't accommodation. I, when I was in a place in Hungary, which it was a very strange, it was a completely different environment in Hungary. I was very interesting. Uh, but I got to a place and there was supposed to be accommodation. It just didn't exist. And, um, I couldn't, you know, couldn't speak a word of Hungarian and they couldn't, in the tiny little village, couldn't speak a word of English. 
but I managed to communicate with this guy. He, he stopped a local bus and he got the bus driver to change his route and <laughs> <laughs> take me to his place. And, uh, and you know, and, and, and just, just fabulous. And I had all sorts of things like that happening, particularly in Hungary. Um, I was actually um, blogging as I went along. And uh, so I, people, I had a sort of a number of people following me, which was nice. But when I got to Hungary, I had a lot of people following me. And they were uh, uh, advising me as I went along and ringing me up and all sorts of things. It was just such good fun. That one night, uh, one one time, my my wife, um, uh, she, I'd done a blog. I'm a terrible speller. I'm slightly dyslexic. And uh, my wife commented on my blog and she said, uh, you, you, you spelled this wrong. Why you, why you said that? And this Hungarian woman comes in and says, John has just finished a very long day. Don't be so horrible to him and all this sort of stuff. So I had to explain to him that this horrible person was actually my wife and I'm used to it and all that sort of stuff. But that, you know, it was like that all the time in Hungary. So amazing. I had such, such fun there. When I got to Budapest, um, about three days before I arrived in Budapest, I was, to be honest, I was tired. I was, it was very hot in Hungary and I was, I was just ready to get home. Uh, but three days before I got to Budapest, I sort of I met three walking guys who were but obviously walking buddies, and they sort of started chatting to them. And one goes, "What are you doing when you get to Budapest?" I said, "I'm just going to get on the plane and come home." And they said, "No, we can't let you do that. We'll meet you." So he he turned out he was um, he was an ex-Hungarian long jump champion or something. He'd been in the Olympics, and he was such a nice bloke. And we. I didn't walk right into the middle of Budapest because, uh, you know, I didn't want to walk through. It's a big city. So I got, got to the outskirts and he said, well, we'll, we'll catch a, a tram. And there are these beautiful yellow trams in Budapest, uh, similar to the trams in, in, in Lisbon, you know, very old. And we got on this tram and uh, he, he brought a bottle of, uh, of champagne and all the rest of it. And he, said, he, said, he announced to everybody on the tram that, Oh, uh, this is John Hayes. He just walked from Tarifa in Spain. <laughs> and the whole tram stood out and started clapping. It was like something out of a, 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 a I don't know, a sort of rom-com or something. <laughs> and then we got into the middle of Budapest and he'd, he'd arranged for me, to, because he'd got these connections from his uh, um, time in the, uh, when he was uh, in the Olympics, he, he'd arranged for me to be interviewed on local television and all this sort of stuff. And he was just, it was just amazing. So he he set up. Well, I, you know, I was trying to sneak off quietly and get back home and and start my sort of uh, uh, reorientation process. And he just uh, he just set this fabulous uh, entry up for me into Budapest. It was absolutely wonderful. Uh, that sounds like an incredible way to end. You know, often you finish and no one knows, and you kind of slink off, as you say. And to have the celebration after six months—that's like what you. In your mind, you don't, at least for me, I would love that. That would be so great to kind of have, you know, just, you know, so, so, something that, yeah, that's so important. Um, you mentioned you were writing about your walk and uh, is is your blog still up related to your E4 walk? Yes. Um, I, 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 I kept it going for probably until COVID, to be honest. I, uh, COVID changed everything, didn't it? And we had that sort of two-year two, two gap. Um, so I... Was, I, I I blog, it is still up, and uh, it's got all the stuff on the E4, and it's got all of my subsequent uh, adventures, 
um, including, um, you know, I've done lots and lots of walking since. Nothing is as 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 far as the E4, but I've managed to do um, a whole series of trips, displaying my indulgent lifestyle, really, and blessed lifestyle, to be honest. But so I've I've, I've actually got out of the habit of, of doing it. It was quite a nice thing to do because when, particularly when you're walking on your own, um, you're sort of thinking all the time about what am I going to say. At the end of the day, you know, I'm going to write this thing at the end of the day. So you actually have, unless you concentrate on, on what you're looking at, um, and it had, had a great response from people, and you know, people asking questions and and saying they'd had a great walk. It's been really nice. So that's been part of the pleasure of it all. Um, yeah, and that got me into writing as well. To be honest, um, having done all that, and I, I then thought I, maybe I should do a bit more writing. I didn't write about you for bit of a uh, um, small audience, I think, <laughs> of people who would want to do something like that. But I then started writing uh, guidebooks and uh, about some of the other trips I've done. Yeah, we're going to have you back for one of the guidebooks you wrote right. uh, at a later date about the Via de Plata, uh, which uh, I actually have an old, you know, like handmade guidebook I bought at uh, Stanford's in London. And uh, about, you know, doing that from geez, 20 some years ago uh, when it was just, you know, almost unheard of. I've never done it, but I'm excited to get uh, details uh, when you're back to learn about the Vita Plata because that is one that's really intrigued me. Right. I look forward to it. Excellent. Well, thank you, John, for coming on and, and talking about the E4. Uh, a bit like you, uh, I dream of my uh, retirement. My wife and I have already talked about walking. We want to do the complete E4. So, uh, uh, hopefully the next decade we'll be following your, your, uh, your footsteps and uh, we want to make it all the way down to Greece and, uh, time it so that we can walk and do it all in one year. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's one of our goals. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I just love the stories and thanks for coming on. Pleasure. If people want to find you or follow along or read your writing, where can they find you online? Uh, my, uh, my blog is johnhayeswalks.com. So we'll all one word.com. Yeah. They'll find that. Uh, I should know, but I can't remember. I've got an Instagram account. I, I, I'm not a huge <laughs> social media person, to be absolutely honest, despite the fact that I have a blog. But no, that's, that's the best place to find me. Is, um, or it's, um, although I have to confess that I'm not keeping it up to date anymore. Uh, I'm going to put a link to your walks uh, for the E4 for that link in the show notes, as well as uh, before we uh, started the podcast, I was looking at maps of all the different e-trails online, and I got an interesting map. So if you're a map person, you can look at the uh, the map as well. And uh, with that, thanks for uh, listening to this week's uh, episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.